welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen, and today is a very special episode uh, in which I'll share with you one of my favorite interviews we've done on the podcast. Cindy Kuzma interviews Sarah Spain, who's a major contributor at ESPN, and what that means is she gets to create a lot of media, do a lot of radio, be on a lot of fun TV, uh, and talk about sports. But when this interview was conducted, it was June of 2017, or at least that's when it was aired. And a lot, I may remind you, has happened between June of 2017 and today. Um, so let's go over what that may impact in this interview. Sarah talks a lot about harassment and sexual harassment. And since then, Me Too has really been popularized in the media. We know that movement started before October of 2017, but it was really popularized around that time. So it's interesting to hear her in this episode talk about those themes and the amount of time it took her to start talking about those themes. She mentioned how she experienced sexual harassment and how she never really spoke out about the specific person or name the specific incident, but she has over time talked to several other women who've experienced the same thing. Since this interview, she's spoken more at length about several incidents and also been a champion for women who have gone through similar experiences. You can find some of those interviews in our show notes. Another thing you'll hear her talk about a lot throughout the episode is the idea of a meritocracy, uh, how hard work, and achievement are so closely tied and how she uh, really attributes her success at ESPN and in her life in general to working really hard and seeing the results in that. That resonates with me as it's a value that I've had throughout my entire life. And while yes, there is luck involved in success, hard work prepares you for the luck when you find it in your way. So you'll hear Sarah talk about how sports and how business and how her life really involved that, that work ethic, that constant hard work, do good work, be a good person, um, and you'll eventually reap the rewards of all of that. I, I think you'll find some interesting tidbits in that piece as well. I know I have taken a lot away from that. And the key thing that I love about this episode is something that I've also found. Like confidence is something you grow into. Um, it's tough as a woman to be told that you should be confident and that you should be secure in your femininity uh, when you don't really even know what that is <laughs> until maybe you're in your 20s or 30s. Um, Zara talks about a specific tipping point at which she found herself feeling confident and growing into what she calls her more than six foot or six foot frame. Um, and I really experienced that as well, finding confidence and growing into my body in, in my 30s um, or late 20s. She quotes Jennifer Aniston on that. And I, I think that a lot of listeners who are either approaching their 30s or in their 30s, or maybe they found it at a later date, uh, I'd love to hear about that too. I hope you love hearing uh, Cindy Kuzma speak to Sarah in this episode. I know that Sarah is someone I really look up to, uh, and I hope that you find that same sort of inspiration in her that I do. Here's Cindy Kuzma with Sarah. Yeah, I'll sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. Sarah, thank you so much for talking with us for We Got Goals. Sarah, you are, I know, a radio host, a podcaster, an ESPNW columnist. You do so many things. How do you describe your job to people on a regular basis, and, and what is your day-to-day -day like? I usually just say sports reporter, and then if they seem actually intrigued to be on that, then I'll say, 
I'm a national radio host. I do national TV. I report for SportsCenter on Chicago-based teams. I'm a national columnist and a podcast host and a jack-of-all-trades at ESPN, basically. So my every day is 100% different every day. Most weeks, either Monday or Tuesday, is when I try to record my podcast with my guests because they go up every Wednesday. So usually Monday or Tuesday, I'm recording with my guest and sometimes writing a column to accompany it. I usually do Around the Horn, which is a panel-based sort of sports debate show on ESPN twice a week. And then I have a national radio show most weeknights, 8 to 10 p.m. and every Saturday, 11 to 2 p.m. Those are central. So it really is a total crapshoot what my day is like, which I don't mind because I definitely am not a 9 to 5 person where I want to know exactly where I'm going to be every second. But it does mean that it's up to me not to overschedule myself, and I'm terrible at that. Um, because when you have a regular job, you're like, oh, of course I can't do 3 p.m. on Tuesday. I'll be at work. But instead, I say, let me check. Sure, even though I'm busy every other second of the day, I'll just slide you right in. And then the day arrives, and I'm like, why did I agree to meet this 14-year-old for coffee to talk about whatever? Um, and I never regret it afterwards, but I, my schedule is unruly at times. I can imagine. And I'm always curious when there's a person with a career like yours where you have put a lot of different kinds of pieces together. And I know that involves a lot of decision-making and that kind of thing. When you think about goals, are you uh, strategic? Like, do you have a, like a one-year plan, a five-year plan that you're working toward? Or are you looking at what's working in your life now and kind of making decisions based on what's happening now and what opportunities are arising currently? I think I've changed a lot over the years. When I started, I lived in L.A. I actually originally moved there wanting to do Saturday Night Live or comedy. I did the whole Second City Conservatory. I took classes, but I had been an athlete all through college. So this was my first time really immersing myself in the idea of actually being a working actress versus just the idea of it sounding cool. So I did auditions and classes and stuff like that. And then once I kind of veered into the sports world for a class because I had a background and I combined the two, the, the comedic sensibility and the sports it sort of took off, and that's when I realized I should focus on the sports angle versus straight entertainment. And once that began, it was literally just, how can I make enough money to survive doing a job that I love? Once I achieved that goal, one of my biggest, most proud things is every year on my taxes when it asks for my occupation and I write sports reporter, because for so many years it was sports reporter slash, or aspiring sports reporter slash waitress slash hostess slash intern, whatever it was. Um, and my meager salary that I was doing my taxes for was not coming from the thing I most wanted to do. So that was that goal. Then the goal became, okay, I'm working behind the scenes. I want to be in front of the camera on on TV. Once it's that, then now it's I want something I could take ownership of. You know, I don't want to just be on projects that other people host. I want to have my own radio show or my own TV show. And so those are the kind of the goals I have now. Working with an agent and being more cognizant of how the industry works has certainly forced me to be more aware of what my long-term goals are. But I've also pivoted, I would say, in the last seven or so years, really since I got to ESPN, where I've had to make a conscious decision of, are the choices that I'm making because I'm ambitious and I want either more money or more fame or more access or more notoriety, or am I making the choices to be happier? And it used to be when I was coming up, I felt that they were mostly in line with each other. I will be happier if I have more of X, Y, and Z. Um, because I think when you're super ambitious and you want to do something you love, that's those two do correlate. Now I'm so happy with what I already have that changing that just for the sake of money or notoriety could actually take away from my happiness in terms of where I live, what I'm actually working, like what the job actually entails, waking up at 3 a.m. Is that something I want to do just because it's a, it's a better gig or it's more money? 
do I want to move to Connecticut where ESPN is? So a lot of my choices now, a lot of my goals are how do I balance how happy I am with everything in my life and not just how ambitious I am with the work part of it. That's so interesting. And my next question to you was going to be if that has shifted over time and, and you started out with that answer. Yeah, there's like a different, a tipping point you must have reached where happiness became separate or, or like a different part of your goal than your well, professional growth. It's still totally tied to my work in a lot of ways because I do love my work so much. It's such a big part of my life and it drives me in a way that I think not everybody feels that way about their job. And I'm okay with it taking up a ton of my time. You know, even when I'm busy, I say this is something that you're enjoying the whole time. But that being said, it will eat you alive if you don't have some boundaries. And I do love taking naps with my dog and going on trips with my husband and, I don't know, working around the house and stuff like that. And it would be very easy to lose all that stuff in pursuit of just more and more and more. And I think also now I have relationships with people who are very successful, but every break they get, they immediately hightail it out of wherever they live to go on vacation somewhere that they actually like, or they wake up at 3 a.m. every morning and go to bed at 8 p.m. every night because they work a 5 a.m. show. Those kind of sacrifices would not make me happier, even if I had all the money in the world. And so a lot of, I think, people in general have to make these decisions when, when it comes to starting a family and, and things like that. For me, it kind of feels like that. It's, do I want to maintain the relationships I have with my friends and my family and my life outside of work, how important is it to cling to those? And as it turns out, it's quite important for me. I'm sure that the lines are somewhat blurred, right? Because I'm sure you have friends who are also a part of your work and work is a part of your social life and your happiness too. So it's not like these are two separate entities, right? Yes, except I'm sort of on an island here uh, because ESPN is in Connecticut. And then there's some big parts of it in New York and L.A., and sometimes when I work, I'll travel there or sometimes to Miami for another show. So I don't go to an office every day. I mostly work from home. If I go to Around the Horn, I shoot that out of a, a building here in downtown Chicago in the Loop at, at a studio. I do my podcasts and my radio shows from home. I have a radio unit and I write from home. And then I travel to games or events or to work. So it's not the same as going to an office every day. And I certainly have friends at work, but they don't really live here the same way. My closest friends through ESPN I communicate with over the radio show that I host with them or at events that I go to with them or before Around the Horn when we're all gabbing about stuff before we start filming. And I think for me, I've only had really positive experiences with ESPN, but it's still a company and there's still workplace drama and there's still clicks and everything else. And there's a, it's very competitive. The field is incredibly competitive. And I kind of consider myself cocooned out of some of that because I'm here and I just work as hard as I can and hopefully good things come to me if I work as hard as I can. Sometimes, unfortunately, it's out of sight, out of mind. I'm not in front of the right people at the right time because I'm not in that office every day in Connecticut. But on the other hand, I'm also not doing a lot of small talk. I'm not doing a lot of office drama about why did you get this assignment when this person should have. I'm a very social person, but I'm also, I'm not really interested in managing other people. I like to just work really hard and then have good things happen because I busted my ass. I don't really want to be in charge of other people and whether they work really hard because that frustrates me if they don't. So I think I'm in a position where I don't really have bosses. I kind of do. I have people that are in charge of me, but they're not micromanaging me. I don't have anyone working for me, so I don't get frustrated by subordinates that aren't showing up on time or aren't working hard. 
Um, so it, it's sort of solitary, even though there's a lot of people that go into it, producers and camera people and editors and everything else. It's very collaborative as opposed to tiered. Mm -hmm. And that's much better for me because I do not like drama and I will always show up and work super hard. And if somebody's not carrying their weight, that's not an easy fit for me. So I think I've saved myself from a lot of heartache and frustration by not having a traditional workplace environment. So I did when I did Second City, one of the things I miss most is like being collaborative and being in a room full of people that are great creative thinkers and writers. And I can be very collaborative. I just think sometimes people end up in workplaces where they're constantly having to work with people that they don't mesh with and don't like. And I don't have any of that. Like someone the other day, it was so random. It's like psychic on a TV show I was hosting was like a guest visiting. And one of the things he wanted me to give him behind the scenes was like a name of someone that I was didn't like so that he could like magically show me later the name without me saying it aloud. He had me think about it. And I'm like trying to think. And I ended up with someone that I haven't seen in 20 years because I don't interact with people that I don't like. I just don't have to, which is the biggest blessing ever, I think. You've kind of set yourself up. You've realized some of your strengths yeah. and your weaknesses and kind of set yourself up for success in that way. Yes, and I've just gotten lucky too because sometimes you can't help but having to work with people that aren't your, your speed, but you get the stuff done anyway. But yeah, I think this career ended up really suiting well, like my intricacies. Mm -hmm. How much do you think your background as an athlete, because you were a heptathlete at, at Cornell, right? Mm -hmm. um, how much do you think that influences the way you think about goals? And I mean, you're around professional athletes all the time mm -hmm. too. So how does that athletic mindset influence you? I think it's huge. We just had this giant ESPNW summit, one day summit here in Chicago. And we always talk about how, especially collegiate athletes that are just about to enter the workplace, they all say the same thing. My resume is so empty because I can't work because I'm performing my sport, I'm practicing my sport, I'm competing, and then in the off-season I'm training or doing whatever, and that you have to almost put a resume spot and put collegiate athlete and then bullet point all the things you learn from that the same way you would do that with a job because it's time management, it's teamwork, it's you know determination, it's fighting adversity. There's so many things that as athletes I think we take for granted and then we realize that there are people who have never done that. You know, it's stupid stuff like you've never taken an ice bath or you've never taped your ankle or you've never rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Like, you know, it's like the things that you get so used to. And then there's bigger picture things like fighting through adversity. And I really feel like I never give up on stuff. If I decided that I'm going to do something, I'm going to keep, I mean, eventually if it's a total waste of time, I'll stop. But I don't get deterred easily, and if you set a goal and you get a setback, you just keep going. And I think there's certainly people who don't operate that way because they never had to do it in any capacity, and it just feels easier to say, oh, I guess we can't do it then. So can you name, Sarah, a goal that is particularly important to you that you've achieved recently, or even not recently, even over your career? And talk to me a little bit about why it was important to you and how you went about achieving it. I guess I'll go with the first thing that comes to mind that's usually... The answer. I think one of the goals that I set out early on, even when I was still sort of pursuing the comedy and the acting, was to try to stay principled. And that I had heard so much about the industry and its many flaws, whether that's the casting couch or having to throw other people under the bus to get where you want to go or putting yourself in a position to succeed by by leapfrogging others or not earning it. And that really bothered me because I think it's partly probably sports again. You know, it's a meritocracy. In sports, if you're good, then you're good and you do well. And that's about, unless you 
got a bad coach that won't play you or you've got ball hog teammates that won't pass it. Like if you put in the work, it's going to show up. And it really bothers me anytime that that's not the way things work. I'm a very principled person. Like this is how you should be rewarded for something. And these are the rules and all that stuff. And so early on, I definitely learned it's who you know in Hollywood and you have to suck up to people that are completely undeserving of your respect and time. And that stinks. And then as I've gone along, it's been less about stuff like that and more about treating people right. And I'm not competing with anybody. I'm competing with myself. And if I do well, it's because I did a good job. I'm not out to throw anybody else under the bus. I'm not out to beat someone else out for a job. That's not my job to get unless I earn it and I get it. And then it's mine. I think there's a lot of ways to lose yourself in this industry. I think even more so now with social media, there's so much validation. And then on the other hand, there's so much (laughs) criticism, but you can lose your connection to who you actually are by trying to be what you think people want. And I think that's always been super important to me is just to be exactly who I am and who I've always been. And that if, and hope that treating people well and caring about just general principles of life, not lying, not cheating, not stealing, all that stuff, um, that it will all work out. And I definitely see people in my industry that don't want to approach it that way. And um, I think it all comes down to karma. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe in karma, like there's some being up there that's like really doling it out. But I feel like there are so many moments in my life that I can pinpoint where I was nice to someone just because I'm a nice person. And then months or even years later, it comes back around and I'm like, oh, how random. That's that person that I met however long ago. And now I'm in a position to help them or they're in a position to help me or we're just enjoying being friends because we were in that position years ago. So that's how I view karma as sort of more grounded. Yeah, I've certainly found that to be true too. And people ask me how to be successful as a freelancer. I'm like, do good work and be nice to people. (laughs) Two main roles. (laughs) Yep. Neil Gaiman had a... a, graduation speech. And he said, the main three things are like show up on time or do the work on time, make the work really good and be easy to work with. And he said, if you have at least two of those, you'll probably stick around. But if you're only got one or you got none, it's not going to be worth it. Even if the work is great, if it's not on time and they don't like you, it doesn't matter. So you kind of made reference to some of the issues in your industry. And I know you've you made it a goal or, or maybe a mission, you would call it to kind of make some changes, especially when it comes to the issue of harassment. And I wondered when, how that came to you, that that was not only a goal that was important or necessary, but something that was possible for you, uh, an area in which you could make a difference. Are you speaking more specifically to online harassment or just general harassment of women, whether that's like sexual harassment in the workplace or... Well, I know you've done some important work on both, yeah. so um, I, whichever one rings more right. true to you. I mean, I guess they both do. They're both super important to me. Just basically the idea of equality in the workplace and, and lifting as you climb with other women. The sexual harassment one is something I dealt with early in my career, and it really took me almost a whole decade to talk about it. I felt like I was in a position to illuminate people having to go through that, and I reached out to a number of colleagues and found that they all had their own stories, and then I realized, wow. Well, man, I need to do some sort of podcast where they're all telling their stories for people to realize how common it is, especially women starting out where they're being taken advantage of by men in a power position who know that they can influence the hiring or firing or opportunities, and then they take advantage of that. And that frustrated me to no end. And I'm still, you know, in a tough position with that because I never spoke out about when it happened to me, nor did I, nor have I since. And 
there's a, that, that feels like a weakness to me, but I also, it also feels like a realism that I don't want that to be the first thing when you Google search me is that I, I got X fired or that I said this and that sucks because that's why so many women don't speak out is because the repercussions against them. But I at least think that I'm in a position where I have enough agency and a strong enough voice to talk about it and speak out about it. And it same goes for online harassment. It was something that was organic for me. And when I first joined Twitter, when it first started, I was pretty low profile. So every once in a while I get mean stuff. And then the bigger my profile gets, the worse it gets. And while I'm tough enough to deal with it, I really feel for people just coming up who don't get to ease their way into it or who have never been around without that social media issue because I got to sort of learn who I was and gain my confidence and get, you know, a lot of feedback and, and support from people before it got torn down. And a lot of the people just starting out don't really have the freedom and space to find themselves and find their confidence before they have to put themselves out into this terrible world of trolls. And I would say it was probably about four or five years ago when I first was working at ESPN Radio here in Chicago. I was the first woman on the air and regularly in 11 years there. And I really was worried about being the nag, about they finally have a female voice and I can't ruin it for all women by being like luxury all the time. But I also didn't, it's not in me to sit there if something is being said that's wrong or inappropriate or whatever and not press the old microphone and be like, hey guys, that's not right or this, this, this fact is wrong or blah, blah, blah. And so there was kind of an intentional pivot there where I realized I could continue being the girl that every guy wants to go out and get beers and talk football with or I could lose a couple of those people and gain the respect and admiration and support of people who wanted me to speak out about things that are more important than that. And that was kind of, I think, inevitable for me just because of who I am. But it was a choice I had to make because I know that there are a lot of just regular everyday sports fans who would much rather that I just be sarcastic and crack jokes and be funny and talk about sports and they respect that about me and they get turned off if I talk about domestic violence or sexual assault in sports or women's issues or whatever. Um, but what's more important that I approach this with something that matters to me and that I try to be a voice for a lot of people who are, aren't willing to speak up or that I just set myself up to be as successful as possible by being as likable as I can. Like, I think that's an easy answer for me. Um, it's not always easy in practice, but um, I'd much rather go to sleep every night and be like, I'm doing what I think is the best as opposed to have I made all the bros in the world think that I'm the coolest. What an interesting thought process to go through to get to that point. And I know you've talked before about how your confidence has increased over time. You know, the, the longer you last in this industry and the more experience you have. And I, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, too, and how your personal confidence in yourself and your professional abilities helped you to make that decision. Yeah. So I was, um, six feet tall with curly hair, braces and giant boobs when I was like 12. Did not know yet what to do with the boobs or the curly hair. I knew the braces would eventually come off, but I've always been sort of partly incredibly confident and then partly insecure. And it's totally based on what part of life I'm in. Right. So I've never worried about my athletic ability. I've never worried about my smarts. Uh, I've never worried about my sense of humor, my ability to talk to people, but I was really insecure around like just being a girl and, and boys and all that stuff because I was a foot taller than them when we were growing up. And because it's you eventually have to get used to moving through the world in the body that you're in and the space that you take up. And I, I would always just feel uncomfortable about being compared to a man or like being in a space and people would, if I bumped into someone, they would 
act like it was my fault just because I was six feet tall and I was bigger than them. And my sports gave me this reason to love my height and my strength, but it took me till probably mid twenties for men to want to date a partner and not a trophy and a very outspoken six foot tall athletic girl is not every guy's cup of tea when they're finding their own confidence. And so it's this always been this balance. And it was so funny. I remember, I can't remember who it was, but I it might've been like Jennifer Aniston when she turned 30. I read in some magazine where she was like, 30 is so much better than 20 because you just don't give a bleep what anyone thinks. And I was like, whatever, you're trying to make yourself feel good about being old. And now I'm like, uh, yeah, 100% true. Like you only get one shot. You only get one body. You only get one brain. You only get one life. We're all going to be disappointed. We're all going to wish we had Giselle Bunchen's body, whatever. But what good does it do you to sit and complain or be sad or mope about what you don't have? Figure out the things about yourself that you love and really show them off. And then if there's things that need to be changed, then really put in the work to change them. And if they can't be changed, like your face, I mean, that's, that's who you are, or your height or whatever, then own it to the best of your ability. And that takes time. And it's hard because I talk to a lot of up-and-coming girls about their confidence. And I try to remember what it was like to be that, to feel that way. And it's hard to access it once you've moved past it. But I remember being there, but um, it feels like the transition was a lot smoother probably than it was. Mm -hmm. And then work-wise, I tell them the same thing. I get validated by my fans, by bosses, by colleagues, by people who are writing me and saying, you're doing a great job. Um, but when you're starting out, you don't have the profile for that. And you're, you're learning, so you're going to make mistakes, and not everyone's going to reach out and say how great you are. So you have to find the moments where you can validate yourself until you get to a position where other people can help you with it. And, I mean, in, in the end, especially in an industry like mine, you sort of have to be your own PR. You have to pretend like you are a product that's being sold, and that can be really uncomfortable for some people. Fortunately for me, I've always been pretty good at selling my own <laughs> fabulousness. I remember I read a book when I first moved to L.A., and that's what it said. It said... You know, if you don't believe that you're good enough or you're the one to get it, why would anybody else believe that? And so you got to fake it till you make it if you don't believe it yet. Fake it till you make it is a, is a phrase that comes up frequently on yeah. the We Got Gold podcast. Yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. You touched on mentoring, and I, do, I had heard that that's something that you make time to do in the middle of all of this other craziness mm -hmm. of your schedule. So why is that so important to you? And what have the role of mentors been in your own success and your, achieving your own goals? It's super important because especially in this industry, people always say, oh, find mentors. It's who you know. And then when you're just up and coming, you're like, how? Like, where do I go? How do I know if they want to talk to me or spend time? And I had a couple really important folks. I've had a ton of different people that I can point to at different times that made a huge difference in whether I made it or not. There are just a couple that stand out. You know, I had some pretty bad experiences when I first moved back to Chicago from L.A., in the locker rooms of places where the same BS that you read about and you don't think is real happens, where it's some reporter saying I must be sleeping with the players because they're giving me better answers or some PR person saying that my boobs are distracting in the locker room. And I'm like, well, I can't hang them up outside and grab them on my way out. They're there. Um, so, but that stuff was when you're just coming up and you have zero success to fall back on, that's terrifying because you think you're not going to ever make it and you're going to deal with that your whole life. And it's BS if you're a woman who's never really paid any credence to the idea that you shouldn't be able to do anything you want. My mom and my dad have had a law firm together. She, my mom was just the most badass lady. And so I grew up never even considering that I couldn't do stuff. And so whenever I've come up against that, I've been like, 
no, that's like, and then it's been more frustrating than I think it should be because I realized that there's a much deeper misogyny and sexism in our society than I ever wanting to give credit to. But I had a, a mentor in the radio industry who didn't even work. It was before I even worked for ESPN. And I told him these stories about these issues I was having with teams. And he was like, you just have to put your head down and work harder than ever and be so good that they can't say no to you. You have to just put them in a position where they can't use those lame excuses as a reason to disrespect you or to believe that you don't belong there. And I thought I was being treated unfairly. I was being treated unfairly, but the only way to stop it was to show up every day and be awesome. And some of the very people that gave me problems years later were the ones coming up to tell me how great X or Y was that I was working on. I mean, it's unfair that you have to do that. You should be given the benefit of the doubt before you prove them wrong, not the opposite. But those mentors were so key to me. And you have to remind yourself how clueless you were when you started to remind yourself how the people are feeling that are reaching out to you for help. And I am so fortunate every day for what I do. I can't express how much gratitude is a huge part of my day. I have friends who work in this industry who are always looking for the next best thing, never really seem to be satisfied with with what they have because they're so worried about what's next. And I don't want to be that person. I want to exist in a space of incredible gratitude every day because what the hell is the point of doing something that you love and being successful at it if it's always what's the next bigger thing I can get? And so that gratitude stems from all the things that got me here, including all the people that helped. And the best way to ground myself in that is to is to try to like lend a hand and lift someone else up because it would be really absurd of me to take everybody else's help to achieve success and then not pay it forward. That's such a great perspective. And then I would imagine too, it, it helps, it, it probably fuels that gratitude even more when you are able to look at where they're coming from and look at how far you've come mm-hmm. since then. Well, and it's kind of crazy that girls will come up to me and be like, you're the reason I want to get into sports. And I'll be like, what? First of all, I'm old as fuck then. Because, you know what I mean? Like, those are the things you say to old people. But, but yeah, or they'll say, you know, I was in journalism and I was going to do this because I didn't see any women that were like me and now I see you. And, you know, when I was coming up, it was either very serious anchor people, very bubbly sidelines reporters who didn't get to express much personality or people who look like supermodels. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there still is because television's a visual medium, there's too many women that don't look like the women who are sitting at home actually watching sports. But it was really important to me to not become this like overly polished idea of what a TV sports reporter is and instead still be me who like goes and does a beer bong at the Bears tailgate and then crushes a couple wings and goes to the game and wears 18 layers and goes in December and hasn't lost touch with what like drew me to this in the first place. And having girls that remind me of me who are sarcastic and snarky and funny and bold and whatever come up and say like you're the kind I want to be like I'm like yes because I needed that when I was coming up I didn't find one of those you're building like your own little army of them yes (laughs) yes the Spain army (laughs) so knowing that you do feel grateful for all you have and that you have accomplished all these incredible things I'm sure you do have goals for the future too so I wondered if you could talk to me about a couple of the goals you have for the next year or the next undetermined length of time and uh, how you plan to go about achieving those my first goal is the reverse of probably what a goal usually is and that is to do less I actually intentionally on my podcast had a New York Times columnist who wrote a story about saying no because I wanted to devote an hour of my time to talking to someone about the best practices for saying no and finding balance. And and somebody passed along a quote that was perfect that said, make sure when you're saying yes to others, you're not saying no to yourself. 
And I've been doing that way too much because I do want to reach out and help others. And because I don't want to say no to anything, I end up taking away from workouts or going to the grocery store or hanging out with my husband or whatever. So my first goal in the immediate future, once I get past the current overwhelming black hole of my life in roughly a month or so, it should get a little better, is to be better about saying no and prioritizing and making choices that are best for my health. I've tore my Achilles in college, so I have a bulging disc and a degenerative disc and messed up knees and everything else. And I keep putting off finding a new doctor because I don't have time. Things like that, that need to be priority for me instead of other people. But after that initial goal, I would like my own TV show. I, like I said, I miss the kind of feeling of being in a room with really smart, great creative people and putting something together every day, like we did in improv. And so I would love to have something like that, that I take ownership with, that I work with people that I love and respect and think are super funny and great and smart. And we put out something awesome every day. Um, so that's the most current goal. My dream goal that's pie in the sky is I would like to have sort of like a nightly talk show kind of vibe, sort of the Chelsea Handler, Sam B, Daily Show, Stephen Colbert kind of vibe. I would watch that for sure. <laughs> how do you kind of get from where you are to there though? What are, I mean, how do you, when you say that that's, that's your goal, I mean, part of it must just be saying that that's your right. goal and hoping someone is listening, but what are some of the other steps that you might take? Well, um, there's outside sort of entertainment based things that I can do. I did one very quick hit for Good Morning America that was sports related, but I have done some meetings with them about potentially getting involved in, in stuff like that. I do a lot of red carpet stuff for ESPN at the ESPYs or at Super Bowl or other events, so dipping my toe in the entertainment waters. And then it's a matter of having the confidence that people outside of straight sports would want to watch me. I'm still figuring that out. I think that there are representations of women that are similar to me that are already out there and that I could also fill a space where we need more strong, opinionated women. But I think I feel at home in the sports world because it's very natural. And I know when I turned away from straight entertainment, it was partly because it didn't feel supernatural for me. The example I always use is just, I. it makes sense to me to be talking about you know somebody's ERA in a way that's just natural conversation, whereas entertainment world's more like, you'll never believe what Britney Spears wore to the Emmys the other night. Mm -hmm. It's like, no one talks like that. But they do, and it sounds normal when they do it. It does not sound normal when I do it, and I don't want to do that. So is there a space even in entertainment for that? Or am I not appreciating that I'm already in the right space and that I wouldn't actually enjoy it more if I had to get caught up in what makes the entertainment world different than sports entertainment? I think I just like the idea of interviewing athletes and musicians and all sorts of other people, like I do on my podcast, instead of just having it be sports but that could still live in a sports landscape and just be a little bit more wide ranging. And that might end up being the way to approach it versus having to put into place all of the steps that would allow for a jump from straight sports to entertainment. Well, there are always like sort of those tests and uh, experiments along right. the way, right? Yeah. Yes. I'm curious about some of your personal goals. You talked once about a workout accountability group that you have with yes. text messages? Is that something that's still a part of your life? Can you tell us about it yeah. and how you think tools like that to help <laughs> in your personal goals? We just had like a heated discussion about this on our, our friend's boat on Sunday. We went out on a boat for the first time. It wasn't quite warm enough, but we were like, we got to kick off the season. So yeah, about three and a half years ago, four of us started this. We were going to go to Cub Spring training and we were just complaining. It was 
right around Thanksgiving, complaining about how fat and pale we were. And oh, we have to go to Arizona and whatever, a couple months. And I was trying to think of a way to make for it to end up on your schedule the same way meetings and everything else do, because that's really when you get too busy, the only way you're going to do it is if you treat it like a meeting or something else that's just as important. So the, the end goal was this thing called the selfie method. And we have to go to the gym four times a week. The goal is to do at least an hour, but everybody knows that everybody's schedule is different. If it's 45 minute flywheel, that's fine. If you can only do 30 minutes on the treadmill, that's fine. Like just get to the gym. You'll probably do more than you wanted when you get there. So you have to go four times a week and take a selfie and post it to our private Facebook group. And you get one mulligan week per every three to four months ish. And if you don't do it, you have to you have to donate $20 to your least favorite politician and post it on Facebook for everyone to see. We started out thinking we'd do positive, like put money in a jar and then we'd buy beers at spring training. And then we realized that none of us really cares about spending 20 bucks on beers. And it wasn't really going to motivate us the same way that negative motivation would. And so it's pride of not wanting to fail. It's pride of not wanting to give money to someone who you despise. And then it's scheduling. So if you look at your week and you say, the only time I can do it is 5 a.m., then that's when you're doing it. Or the only time is when I get home and I do a 10 p.m. workout, then that's what's going to happen. We've had a couple slip-ups, but none of them have just been blatant disregard. It's been a bunch of you know, cat, like things that fall apart or their flight gets canceled and they can't make it back in time. And we've given some, so no one's actually had to donate yet in three and a half years, but it's been almost the first two years for sure was without incident. Everybody just got it done. And then people's schedules are getting crazier and crazier, which is why we had our heated discussion of, all right, no more giving each other leeway. We all are busy, but let's just decide if we're going to do this, we're going to do this and screw it. Wake up at four 30 and do it, do whatever. So it's worked really well. I highly recommend it to people, but only do it with people that have the sort of like pride and self accountability that they're going to do it right. Because if you don't really follow the rules, it just falls apart that, you know what I mean? Like it's easy to slip out of it if you don't really follow it closely. And it's hard. I, like I said, cause of my many injuries, I can really only do like Pilates, yoga, spin and stuff with a trainer and like walking. I can't do anything with impact. I can't run or any of that stuff. So it's harder. I can't just go outside and go for a run. But you find ways if you have to. Mm -hmm. You find ways uh, to say yes when you need to and, yes, and no. To no. Yes. yes, yes. Well, Sarah, I can't thank you enough for saying yes to <laughs> us today. So really appreciate you talking with us about goals. And uh, great to meet you. It was super fun. Thanks. This has been another episode of We Got Goals, which is a sweatlife.com production. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music to Sarah Spain for being on our podcast a year and a half ago, to Cindy Kuzma for the expert interviewing, to Ryan Deffitt for editing this podcast, and to all of you, our listeners, for listening, learning, and sending us your own goals as well. We hope that you get out there and achieve something big this week. Thanks again.